All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That's me. With me, as always, Brandon Newman. Brandon, getting late in the week. How we feeling here, big dog? Riff. Uh, Against all odds, after that, we actually do have a great show for you guys today that I'm very excited about. Uh, NFL Divisional Previews, the AFC South Edition, with former, and walk with me on this one, former Tennessee Vols and Pittsburgh Steelers guard Ramon Foster, who you can catch the co-host of J. Mart Ramon on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. Ramon is a guy that I got to know in Pittsburgh when I went there for training camp as a rookie. Ramon was a veteran offensive lineman who had been an undrafted free agent the way that I was coming in. Took me under his wing and has been nice enough ever since then to stay in touch as he's gotten into the media game. You can also catch him as a part of DK Sports in Pittsburgh with the Ramon Foster Show podcast that he does there. It's He's been exceptional at all of this, Brandon, but he's a guy who cut his teeth down there in Vol country, is back down in the state of Tennessee, and now is going to help us break down the AFC South, which is awesome. Great insight from a fellow beef man like us. Only the realest of the real go from the Tennessee Vols to the Patriots. Uh, shout out to Gerard Mayo as well. What? The Patriots? The Steelers? Oh my gosh, Mike. So this is this is actually a great segue. So Ramon Foster, very much Pittsburgh Steeler and not New England why Patriot. Did I, why did I again? Why did I say that? The Ramon I know Foster for a show fact podcast. I know for a fact that he played for the Steelers. So uh, Brent, Brandon, this is this is again going to be my point. Is we've got that going on, which we're excited to check out. We got big news. In the NFL, Deshaun Watson apparently is set to start the preseason game for the Browns on Friday against the Jags. A lot of this Kevin Durant shit is getting real again, and a new team has emerged potentially in this conversation. But Brandon, I asked how you were doing mostly because as we were getting ready to take this podcast, as sometimes happens, when you are unavailable, your wife steps in as the communicator. And as I'm talking to your (laughs) wonderful wife, Michelle, who shadow produces this show... 
she mentioned that you were enjoying a nap when I was trying to text you. And I mm-hmm. said, that's fine. Like, let Brandon nap. I know the end of the week, you know, it gets to be a long week. The hours add up. And she goes, yeah, his before bed prayer ramblings get pretty funny around this time of week. Tonight, with your son Mac, he prayed for Mac and the, quote, rookies as he was falling asleep. And last week with Carter, it was Carter and the Canadian Soccer League that were the beneficiary of these nighttime prayers. Uh, oh, Mike, I be losing around bedtime. <laughs> I was praying for Mac and his, his his classmates at daycare. He just started daycare six months six months old, and I just I, just, I asked God. I said, "Bless Mac and and all the other rookies." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, uh, losing it just a, just a tidbit. M- Michelle's like, when your brain goes into sleep mode, does it like go into like sports? And I was like. I think it goes into work. That's what I'm like thinking about I, the Canadian Soccer League. Mike, I, 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 I'm praying and I hear these things coming out of my mouth and I wake up and Michelle's just like dying laughing. The kids don't know the wiser. The pra- I put the wiser. A, I tried to add to the prayer card the because I saw this on ESPN. I think this is when the Ocho was going on. They had the World Excel Spreadsheet Championships, and so I wanted to make Ooh. sure to pray for those fine athletes as they go out here and try and slang these docs. Definitely, definitely. Um, but in, in my in my hysteria, Mike, I came up with a nice pseudonym. I'm about to start going for going by. What's that? It's gonna be my new my new writer pen, uh, Jarrell Sex. <laughs> All right, like I can, There's a good double entendre in there somewhere. Yeah. How, Jarell, Jarell so that Sacks. was is that is that another part of your bedtime brain that prompted that, or was this I, normal I brain so. that gave way uh, to that, or did they meet somewhere in the middle, like you were? Uh, Somewhere, somewhere in the middle, where like in the afternoon, where you like think you need a nap, and then you just stand up and start doing stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm okay. Are you essentially the large black version of Moon Knight right now? <laughs> Who's Moon Knight? Are you talking about actual Moon Knight? Yes. <laughs> I may be. I may be. I, I definitely listen. Oh, and my doctor's appointment that I was supposed to get us. We, we teased this in the last podcast. I we didn't did, end up going. Last time on this podcast, we teased a doctor's appointment because this is a very normal fucking show. Wait, you didn't go? I didn't go because I, I scheduled it during the sweat. I forgot about the sweat. And we had a great time with Emerson and, and the rest of the people in the DK Nation at the sweat today uh, or, or yesterday. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mismanaged my calendar. So, uh, when it comes to it, content definitely goes over health. God, what a sick world we live in where I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's probably true. <laughs> Keeping a calendar is one of the toughest things about being an adult too. Oh it's, man. You can file that under the things they don't tell you. You spend so much time with your planner in school and you think when you get done, once you're not measuring life by periods, you won't have to worry about that anymore. And it's so fucking wrong. You're just governed oh by a different God. planner. Ooh, I mean, you, it just, I'm not, I'm going to lay out. Well, I, so Brandon, I want to, I want to, I want to let your brain recoil a little bit because you did in your tired stupor bring to my attention one thing that I really wanted to grapple with. So explain Drake and his dad's tattoos of each other to me because that was not something I came into the show prepared for, but you were enamored by this in our pre-show meeting. Well, I know uh, Drake's posting on Instagram. He's posting a lot recently. Uh, they just had LVO Fest 
And one of the things he posted recently was a a tattooed photo of himself uh, looking over his right shoulder, if you will, in the in the picture. It's just of his face, and it's on someone's arm. I imagine plenty of people have Drake tattoos, but the person who had this Drake tattoo, Mike, was Dennis. Uh, if you're familiar with Drake, you know Dennis. Uh, Dennis Graham is Drake's father. A uh, staple in Memphis. Uh, if you, I've talked to some friends who went to college in Memphis, and Drake is uh, Drake's dad is a, a local at all the bars. He sings uh, randomly at different bars at night, and he got a tattoo of Drake. That in twenty in, in, in twenty fourteen he got a tattoo of Drake. No, no, no. I apologize. Let me back up. Drake got a tattoo of his father's face on his body as a joke in twenty fourteen. Like little, 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 look like a little sticker. All of Drake's tattoos look like little stickers. Then in 2018, Drake's father gets a much larger tattoo of Drake's face on him that looks like, you know, uh, best I ever had version of Drake, uh, baby faced and, and looking way too handsome on, on his father's arm. It's huge on his arm. Then in 2018, he got it touched up by Drake's tattoo artist, and it just looks like a better photo of Drake that still looks kind of wild. And Drake tweeted at him, tweeted on Instagram, and tweeted at his father and said, why you do me like this? <laughs> just simply, why, why is my picture on your arm? Why is it so big, and why do I look so sensual? See, I, I my concern is less with the quality, because after the touch-up, it definitely looked more than like Drake. My question is just in general, do a lot of people get tattoos of their living relatives even as a joke? Like, I understand Drake is a guy who's famously gotten tattoos of Kevin Durant and Steph Curry's numbers on his arm, doesn't yep. necessarily value the real estate on his skin the way the rest of us do, which, by all means, this is a podcast that supports getting stupid tattoos. I'm a huge fan of stupid tattoos. I will say, you have to think about the canvas, too, because Drake does have Lil Wayne, his mentor, tattoo on him. He's got Nicki Minaj tattooed on him. Like, he's... He, he's he's got uh, Drake and Rihanna's birthday. I think they both share like the. Uh, I, he's he's got, just doing he's, he's got, just he's, doing whatever he can to be close to Rihanna. Yes. That's it. That that part's sad. Well, yeah, that and he, you know he's he's had birthdays of women that he's been with tattooed on him. Like the eleventh is tattooed on him from uh, George, uh, Georgia Smith. It's 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 he doesn't really care. But I guess like. is I guess like when I see a tattoo of a person like a, a recognizable face done on somebody i have a portrait of a woman who is like no one in particular i get asked all the time yes. that is just a, a face my tattoo artist said i do faces and hands really well do you want faces and hands i said yes i want faces and hands and we went from there and she drew a pretty picture <laughs> again they don't often mean shit just get pretty right. pictures get stupid pictures do whatever you want but when it comes to tattoos of actual like people you know I just assume if you've gotten them tattooed on you, they're dead. <laughs> so it's a memoriam immediately? I mean, that's usually how it goes. The only tattoo on my body I have that has relatives' names in it are both relatives that are no longer living. And so I just assumed, and maybe like maybe this is cultural, maybe this is just like a famous people thing, but I didn't think, do you know a lot of people that have gotten tattoos of living relatives on their arms or on their anywhere? Uh yeah, I think it may be cultural. Like there's, it, it's very, very infamous for you to see uh, a young man with 
full baby pictures of, of their children on their chest. You know what? I'll, 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 throw, I'll throw babies as different. Because, like, he got a picture of Drake as a grown-ass man tattooed on yes. him. Like, this isn't like yes. a, you know, like a preserving a baby picture memory of, like, True. baby Drake. This is Drake when he's at least above the age of 20 looking sensually back at whoever's staring at the tattoo. Yeah, I, I think this is just a result of, of Dennis, Dennis Graham, uh, Drake's father, being just... A dude from Memphis, you know what I'm saying, and he's and he's also like, I feel like he didn't understand what what Drake was doing with his tattoo, because the the, the tattoo of him of him on Drake's arm, literally looks like a cartoon character, like it's like a like a like an old school guy with like a hair, like a, a fro but not on the on the top. And some like very old 70s style glasses. Like it looks like a caricature. Like I imagine this is the version of his dad that he thought of growing up. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, a, it's a little it's a little gag. Which like and I get that one being a gag, but then for dad like this is like a big you play too much moment because Drake's dad now has a tattoo <laughs> of just his normal ass son on his arm. And so again, if I'm a person okay, in public, I'm either like all right, you clearly have like a different kind of relationship that I don't understand, or your son is unfortunately no longer with us, and I'm offering like my, my knee jerk would be to offer condolences. It, I mean, it does it does look it does look unfinished and 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 sad, but yeah, I, I think once you're by the way, Drake's is not a normal person. He's Drake, and if you are the father of Drake, I think this could be one of many just Drake face tattoos that he could get and no one be the wiser. Cause I nice. imagine he's helped change your, change his life for the better the way we probably help all, hope all of our children do for, ours, for us. <laughs> At Gojo Show on Twitter and of course download, subscribe, rate and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five star rating and a review. And let me know if I'm crazy for thinking having tattoos of your living relatives, if they're not babies. And like maybe like if it's your mom because I feel like a lot of guys do the mom thing, and that's understandable. But I don't know. It just it feels a little off to me. I want to know the answer from everyone out there. But, Brandon, not the most important question that we have to answer. That may belong to what the Cleveland Browns are trying to do. Because we Man. saw reports coming out of NFL from Jake Trotter and a number of other NFL insiders that the Browns quarterback, Deshaun Watson, is expected to start Friday's preseason opener against the Jags. The team made the announcement on Wednesday just before boarding the flights to Jacksonville. The Browns are still waiting to see what happens with the disciplinary action. We just heard Roger Goodell say yesterday he believes the suspension needs to be at least a year. Like, Brandon, the league office had to look like a bomb went off in it when this news went out because as much as the Browns are doing what they believe is the right football decision with a suspension that's up in the air... If you're the NFL, this is the nightmare that you've been trying to avoid is this player on the field at this juncture in your league. I, like, I saw this and I immediately went, oh, so we're going to get the Deshaun Watson verdict from the NFL late Thursday or Friday morning. Oh, really? You think it's going to be expedited because of this? I, like, I, my, my immediate thought was if I'm the league office and this was already a decision you were trying to expedite and you want to avoid what I think has been I mean, when people were talking about you know the uh, Players Association and Deshaun Watson's camp filing an injunction, it was that yeah. idea that was floated out for a while that, man, could you imagine if he somehow got on the field week one because of some legal technicality? This, while it is a preseason game, 
We saw for the Hall of Fame game, these games do monster numbers. Millions of sick bastards like us are watching the NFL preseason, and there will yep. be plenty of people that would tune in if they know Deshaun's going to be on the field. And now you've got a broadcast booth taking their first crack at talking about this, which good luck to everyone in the Woo! NFL. That is not necessarily a subject that I feel like broadcast booths, have, and it's not an indictment of any one crew, but it's just saying NFL broadcast booths and broadcast booths in general do not tend to give these subjects the sincerity that they deserve when talked about and so all that being trotted out in the preseason I feel like is the last thing the NFL wants so would I be shocked if a decision that was already probably being told hey let's get this done quick got done a little quicker so that the Browns go okay this guy's not going to be on the field for us at all this year or for 12 games we're not going to waste valuable reps on him during the preseason Ooh, interesting yeah Mike Yes, you talking about sick, sick fucks that are gonna go watch this game? I, I've had to check myself because I've tapped back into football mode, Brandon. Not not thinking about the the sick mofo that is Deshaun Watson allegedly that that we're going to go see. Because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy has not played football. The last time he played football, he was one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL MVP race, arguably, with a shitty team. I'm like, oh, I would love to watch him get some snaps off in the preseason, especially against uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. But then I, I'm, I stopped and I was like, oh, no, like this is the Browns continuing to be like, fuck you, mom. Like we're going to play well, Deshaun Watson. We're going to make him the richest quarterback, and he's going to be the fr- face of our franchise, and you guys are going to have to deal with it. Like this feels very much like, like nana na boo boo this is what we can do, and you guys can't I, do anything about it. I think it's even less that and just more, hey, we've already sold our souls at this point to make this acquisition, so we're we're in it now. What's the point of stopping? What's the point of holding back? And for them, again, if you just whittle it down to the people inside the locker room, these were decisions that were made outside of Kevin Stefanski and company there. They're looking at it from a football standpoint and saying, right now, Deshaun Watson is scheduled to be back on the field for you week seven. And so from a football standpoint, you certainly, if you just whittled it down to that, would owe it to yourself to see this guy on the field. And then you peel it all back and you go, oh my God, we we, we just, we're talking about a guy that's going to miss at least six games for 24 allegations of sexual assault and sexual impropriety. Again, my first thought was the league office has to be trying to do whatever they can to make sure that this doesn't happen. And I figure these were normally conversations that got had behind the scenes, but again, if you're the Browns that have already gotten this far and down this far the rabbit hole with acquiring Deshaun Watson, this this probably was something we all should have seen as a little bit more inevitable with the economy of preseason games that we have right now. So, Yeah, it seems like the Cleveland Browns are not looking at Jimmy Garoppolo. They are getting ready to let Jacoby Brissett do what he does best and bridge during the season – for a Deshaun Watson that they think is going to help them in a playoff push. Oh, no, like very, very realistically. Again, the Cleveland Browns made their intentions clear. They think this is the quarterback that can take them to the place that Baker Mayfield and the previous regime could not. 
And that is their one goal. That's why you give a guy with that background and those allegations $230 million guaranteed. So I have no doubt the Browns are going to do it. I'm just wondering if this does push the clock at all for the NFL or if the NFL even says, all right, we'll take our medicine now knowing that we want to make sure we're doing all the things we have to dot in our T's and cross in our I's to get the suspension that Roger Goodell and the league want. That's what we've potentially got coming up Friday in the NFL. But uh, Brandon, let's take a dip to comparatively lesser problematic waters and go and look at what's going on in the NBA because we talked Mm. about Kevin Durant, the Brooklyn Nets, his demand for a trade and the ultimatum with Sean Marks and, and their head coach. Source is now telling NBA insider Ian Begley that Kevin Durant sees the Celtics and the Sixers as desired landing spots and would like to play with Marcus Smart. We also saw this from Frankie Eyes, Frank Isola, saying that Boston and uh, Boston and Philly are still very much alive and saying that Kevin Durant would like to play with James Harden. You talked about the other day they were at the Travis Scott concert in London when Durant met with the Nets. There's no way at this point that the 76ers outside of their core have enough to offer Brooklyn to make this work. So if it did, it would be the ultimate exercise and Kevin Durant has just driven down his own market value so much and again Mm. would just make this so shitty for the Nets that they would take whatever. I can't imagine, based on the show of force we've seen from Joe Sy and company, that this would be a deal they would actually make because I don't think Philly has the parts. But... This is just, again, stars trying to draw it up in the dirt because that's what this league is perceived as right now. You know who does have the parts? The Boston Celtics. Like, I I really would like to see that get done just because it's clear that Kevin Durant, you know, he's a big have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too guy, not to continue to, to beat that thing to death. But there's some time that after Kevin Durant leaves – that a team needs to rebuild. And because you have to gut your your team so much to acquire someone like Kevin Durant. And I just think Boston, as much as they probably don't want to get into this superstar race when it comes to Kevin Durant, obviously they do enough to to put out the fact that Jalen Brown was one of the trading pieces. I say say they have to go all in just to try to to make this happen because unhappy Kevin Durant in Brooklyn, at this point, feels boring. So I want the biggest splash possible. It's so funny, too, because I saw Bobby Marks on uh, NBA Today on ESPN, their front office NBA insider, saying that this Brooklyn roster is actually right now pretty incredible if they were able to all stay together. Like, that's the funny part is, and I'm sure for Sean Marks, their GM, and Joe Sy, they're just thinking, let's get him closer and closer to the start of the season. And maybe Ben Simmons comes back into the group chat and starts looking healthier. And maybe this situation starts to improve a little bit. And all of a sudden, these guys will just let up on this. I'm not counting on it happening, but this is just, again more of the mess around this. That's what we talked about is this is just about starting another fire in the break room. And now it's with James Harden, who you've got a guy who clearly you have a relationship with, you were just in London with. What a perfect way to fuck with people. But no one in their wildest dreams would imagine that Kevin Durant would choose James Harden over Kyrie Irving. At no this one. point, I could absolutely see why now. At, at, at this point, but Mike, when this whole thing started... When the key king happened at the All Star game with with it, with uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in the tunnel, like James Harden wasn't a part of this. James Harden was like at that time when he made that move and when 
when he was acquired from the Houston Rockets, he seemed like a cherry on top to a championship team. Not a cherry on top, obviously, because he was a, a big driver and a, a lot. One of the main point bucket getters during that time where they were three, both of them were on the Brooklyn Nets. But this is this is shocking to me. And also, what we didn't mention, what we didn't mention with Rick Buecher, when you talked about the fact that Rick Buecher talked about when Ben Simmons left the group chat when they asked him if he's going to be ready to play against the Celtics, ironically enough, in uh, round one of the playoffs. Rick Buecher said that this information got out because Kevin Durant was talking to people after it happened. It was like, this is who y'all want me to play with? Like, this is the superstar y'all got over here that I'm, we're supposed to win a championship with? And I think that's only relevant because of the information about him wanting to play with Marcus Smart. Right? Yeah, like oh. He's like, he's like, oh, you're talking about defensive players? Y'all think this guy with the bad back and, you know, needs the help upstairs apparently as well with Ben Simmons versus the guy who just won defense player of the year last year? I will say this. By all reports, it sounds like any trade package that would have been floated for Durant to the Celtics would have had to include um, would have had to include him, Marcus Smart, yeah. Marcus Smart for the Brooklyn Nets. So it, it's always going to be a difficult part of this. That's the other thing. Like I can understand why Kevin Durant wants all of this. James Harden's a guy he likes enough. Seems more reliable than Kyrie Irving. James Harden held that ship together while everyone was hurt and the whole thing was burning. Until he got sick of it, and he's got control. He's got people on his side in Philadelphia who have already catered to his needs. And Kevin Durant's looking at the Nets right now going, all right, there hasn't been enough of that for me lately, apparently. I can understand all that, but again, nothing about it from a practical transactional standpoint seems like a realistic option. And so I am again just kind of going back to, all right, more of this just sounds like the mess. More of this just sounds mm. like the message to Joe Sy and company to go ahead and make this work because you're absolutely right. While the Boston Celtics, we felt like we're out of it and had already shot themselves in the foot a bit team chemistry-wise, pissing off Jalen Brown, that would be a much more realistic conversation to me than would be the Sixers when you're floating stuff where like Tyrese Maxey is the best portion of the package that you're potentially offering because you know you're not touching the Embiid and Harden core. So... Besides that, what else well, I'm, are you really working with? I, I, well, I'm I'm wondering how Embiid feels about this. You know, like he's very. Uh, I'm like sure he perfect. loves this shit. Does he? Listen, what what part does it hurt Embiid? Best case scenario, by some sort of miracle of just modern player empowerment, he gets Kevin Durant on his team, as he, I'm sure, in his heart of hearts knows, I don't have that many years left where I can continue to be the guy that has to shoulder the load at every juncture. And worst case scenario, it goes by the wayside and everyone in that locker room, which seems, especially with Joel Embiid at the center of it, who is as Philly a modern athlete as we've had, who understands sure. what that city wants and needs to hear, I'm sure can manage to corral what might be a couple of the bruised egos if that conversation were to come up and say, hey, we got a shot with me and James Harden at the helm and the rest of these guys here to go out and win something in the Eastern Conference. So I worry a little bit less about them and a little more about a Boston Celtics team who already had to weather so many questions about what went on with that team and with that roster before the All-Star break last year. So lots of changes on that front. We'll keep an eye on this because, again, the mess isn't done. This is not going to be over anytime soon, and I have a feeling we're going to have more and more of these headlines as we get closer and closer to the season for a Kevin Durant who is clearly at odds with the front office in Brooklyn. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to former Steelers offensive guard and current morning host down in Nashville, Ramon Foster, about the AFC South. 
Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research, development, and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust. And it's great in convenience, too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently, just like any other routine health habit. And Seed subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again, with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 so one daily symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo code 25 gojo all right this is a fun one a little bit of misdirection for everybody out here because very excited to have ramon foster with Thanks. us you guys can hear him as a part uh co-host of j martin ramon on 104.5 the zone in nashville where absolute debauchery takes place during your morning <laughs> drive on the way there a lot of you may also know him as a former vol and longtime pittsburgh steelers offensive lineman but we're not going to the afc north today nah. now ramon you spent enough time in that division so your thought was you want to get down and dirty in the south yeah, and, and that's where my heart is, okay? Let's just throw it. My heart is in the AFC North, okay? My job is the AFC South. And if I say, well, Pittsburgh's going to have a little bit of a better season, then it's the homerism that you probably just – you judge me by. You wouldn't, but your listeners wouldn't. We don't, we don't really need that right now. So I enjoy covering the South because it's it's an interesting division. Like, very much so, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because of what the other – AFC divisions are doing too. It's something we can talk about, man. Like it's made it tight for the two teams out of the South that I think have a good chance of getting to the playoffs and really making some, some, some waves, you know? Yeah, no, it, it's spot on because, and you can appreciate this from your time in Pittsburgh when certainly that division was such a Thunderdome for so many years, the mm -hmm. AFC in general. And while that seems like it's shifted out West right now, the AFC West is the yeah. premier division in football. This whole conference top to bottom, Ramon, has become absolutely insane as you've got the one seed from last year's AFC playoffs in the Tennessee Titans in this yeah. division. It, it feels like the world has kind of really started to rise up around them. It really does, Mike. And that's probably the best way to kind of say it because you look at the South, well, you look at the other divisions, like, I mean, look at the West. Like every team has a quarterback and that's where it gets real sticky, man. If you, even if you don't love the quarterback, if you have a less than quarterback, you'll say, yeah, I'll take him." I think the, 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 the number four out of the West would probably be Derek Carr. You right. know what I'm saying? And he just got an extension and he got a whole lot of weapons on offense that really make that division very interesting. And then let's look at Denver. 
They got crazy amounts of receivers. They got a defense and they got rust. Okay. And, and, and then we're talking about Patrick Mahomes. And then we start talking about Justin Herbert. Like, what are we doing in the West? They're legit. And, and so it starts man. to squeeze them a little bit. And let's go to the East Buffalo for sure. And then you got to play in Miami a little bit too. And then of, of course, up North. I mean, I know the Browns got their situation, but you got Joe Burrow, you got, <laughs> you got Lamar and Pittsburgh always finds a way to kind of knock off one or two wins and get above 500. Like they always do. So now we look down South. What exactly, who is going to come out of there? I, I say for sure Jacksonville will be a little bit more challenging this year because if the, the prodigy child or or just as good as, as uh, Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be, then they'll be a little bit better. And I'm even looking at just, you know, uh, the way Houston is kind of selling out for Davis Mills. Right. They Lovey Smith is a really good coach. Now, it's a matter of how dysfunctional they've been as of lately to kind of get a little bit of a reset. And, and then, of course, the two other teams. You mentioned the Titans been number one overall seed. And right now, the way certain teams look at them is like, yeah, that was just last year. Even the Colts are. I'm covering them on a day-to-day basis. And the Colts are like, yeah, you just lucked up last year, even though they swept them. And this year is going to be even a little bit more challenging considering Matt Ryan is in this division. Say what you want to. He's a former league MVP, and he got the Falcons to a Super Bowl, Mike. This is a very interesting division simply because I I personally only think there's one making it out of the South. All right, one making out of the South. And really, of that, do you think it comes down to strictly the Colts and the Titans? That's really all that we're dealing with. Hands down. Like, I love Daryl Peterson and what he did in, in Philadelphia with the Eagles, but he's building from the bottom up. And I love to believe that, look, they, they are going to be a team that – you know, push teams to the edge. But to say they're going to split games with teams in this division, I just can't see that. You know, the wide receiving group is pretty – it's it's okay, but I still question Trevor Lawrence considering, you know, Urban Meyer was the coach last year, and even he said he don't feel like he had a true professional, uh, true rookie year as far as his growth as a pro himself. That was a lot to take on. I like their OL, Cam Robinson for sure. Brandon Scherf got a bag to go there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, come on, we gotta give we gotta give a little bit of praise to the big guys, man. Uh, but they they have some parts. I just don't know if it's enough. The two running backs they have, James Robinson and Travis Etienne. You you like them, but you don't love the team. And I'll be honest, you know, it's a little bit of the 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 Jaguars. What do you want to call it? Uh, stench that they have to get off yeah. of them too. You know, Christian Kirk, a lot of people say he got the Jacksonville tax just to go there. You know what I'm saying? Like, he got a bag just to commit to him. I mean, overall, for that team and the money that Shad Khan spent this offseason, it was, I mean, a ridiculous amount of guaranteed money to try and just bolster it. But you're right. That Jacksonville team got shot in the foot so hard by nuking year one on the Urban Meyer experiment and having to basically rewire it. Like, Ramon, have you ever in your life heard so many players at the start of training camp saying, it's incredible. We're treated like adults now. We're treated like grown men. Like it's been the bigness, biggest signal fire from this group up in the air that what happened last year was just so corrosive to that locker room. It's unreal. That ought to tell you exactly what it was. Like Urban Meyer, I got I gotta give it to him. He's won. He kicked our butt at Tennessee when he was at Florida. He's won big at Utah. He's won big at Ohio State. The guy knows how to, how to how to work and how to coach. But, Mike, you know this, too. It's different in the NFL. Like, you got guys that 
fully understand that, look, I'm a man. You're going to treat me like one. I make probably five times more than you. And I'm really good at it because I'm the 1% that made it here. So just guide me. Don't beat me down. Don't kick me if I'm missing kicks. Like, that's what they went through. I, I, I looked at their roster a little bit, and there's one guy, and I'm sure you saw the picture last year that went kind of viral, uh, Sha Shaquille Quarterman. He yeah. was a linebacker standing behind Urban, looking like he's just, you know, he's piercing his soul with his eyes. I looked at his uh, at his uh at his team pictures this year. He's got a big old smile on his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like that tells me everything I need to know. But Mike, it sucks to lose, but it sucks to lose and be miserable, miserable while you're being coached too. And that's what those guys kind of went, you know. It felt like that's the way their season was with as much information that leaked out and the way they're speaking this year and as far as their excitement. And of course. We got to keep our eye on the young rookie man, uh, Trayvon Walkout of Ooh. Georgia, number one overall pick. I'll say this as far as that team goes. I don't know if it's five wins. I don't know if it's six, but I feel like they're going to be a better challenge for teams that's got to face them. You know, and as, as far as the way their makeup is on this team, third or fourth in the AFC South, and it really depends on quarterback play. And that kind of, I guess, would lead us to the other team that's probably third or fourth, and that's the Texans. Yeah, and you mentioned it because what Jacksonville has done now, finally doing the right thing with their number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence and just giving him a chance. And we'll wait and yeah. see how it works out. You know, it's going to be about Trevon Walker in that first year, Trevor Lawrence, and what's really going to feel like his first year and just what kind of strides they're able to make. But it feels like, all right, they've put the pieces around him. Now you got to give it time because it's a young roster. But you brought up Houston. Davis Mills was not a guy I envisioned Houston feeling like they were going to push chips around, but it's starting to feel yeah. like he's a guy that that organization has some confidence in. How surprised were you by what we saw from him in year one as the ship was burning around him there? He was solid. I, I got to give him that, man. He played up to everything that was put in front of him. This is simply the way I kind of view him. He's not the guy that you know because he's not the first rounder. You know, that I feel like, you know, a, a, a popular guy that just got on the scene as a late rounder guy, second, third rounder was was like Dak. And Dak yeah. was on, let's say this, let's be honest, he was on the Cowboys. So, of course, they're going to burst him into the into the stars. You know what I'm saying? As far as the exposure he got. Davis Mills on the cousin team. He's in he's in Houston. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and of course, the way Deshaun left, the way they talked about Deshaun last year. And it's honestly, he's chasing the ghost of Deshaun right now as far as trying to be the quarterback. If he's the bridge guy, if he's the friggin', you know, future franchise guy. But the way Lovey Smith has kind of talked about him and the way their head coach did last year, too, uh, Sully, I think it was his name. The way they talked about him, too, was this guy can play. It's a matter of surrounding him with the right talent. It's a matter of protecting him also, and he's got one of the best left tackles in the league with Laramie Tunsil. Um, but just in general, I just don't know if they have enough. And it doesn't help the fact they also lost John Matchy this year. But yeah. having Brandon Cooks on this, on this team and just – a bunch of guys that we know of but don't really trust at that position, that, that can lead to a hard, long season for them offensively, man, just because they lost a lot as far as the, the draft went. And when you lose a franchise guy like Deshaun, despite his situation, um, that, that's a hard that's a hard hill to climb up during the season. 
It's crazy because now it feels like we we've left that. And now that they've gotten Deshaun away from that building, yeah. so much of the conversation, even before all of the legal allegations came to light, was a quarterback that didn't want to be there, yeah. and everything around Nick Casario and the other parts of that organization. And now you're starting to look around and going, "All right, you mentioned there, John Mechie, the real unfortunate situation. Yeah. That we hope just for him, life wise, he gets through the battle that he's fighting off the field." Um, offensive line, Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M, who's a stud that they can put up there by Laramie mm-hmm. Tunsil, Derek Stingley Jr. on the other side defensively for this team. So you're starting to see it's way off, but at the very least, the waters seem a lot calmer now. And Ramon, you could speak on this. I mean, for a young guy in the league, for you, who came in as an undrafted free agent, to have yeah. an organization like the Steelers that's so rock solid and to know this is what I can count on from my head coach. This is what I can count on from the front office. I can only imagine what that does for your ability to grow as a young player, as opposed mm-hmm. to what some of these guys just got away from in that building in Houston. It, well, it it, it it leads you to a place where you can do what you want to do, and that's do football. There's so many organizations, Mike, and we don't talk about this enough. They operate on outside of football stuff. You know, they want to find you for socks. And I know that's a discipline type of thing. They want to, you know, talk about these things and those things that have nothing to do with football. And that's the one thing that Coach Tomlin always said. Look, he said, when you walk through those doors, your problems got to get left behind. He was like, football is our game and business and, and our business is winning. And a lot of teams don't operate like that. A lot of teams have to deal with those outside entities that have nothing to do with football. You know, with the, the with Deshaun just being around before yeah. they said, all right, man, you can go do your own thing was, well, we still got to answer questions about him. We still have to see him. We still have to acknowledge that he is still getting paid by our team and we got to we can't use him at this point. And, and to your point, they have you know, built up some as far as that offensive line goes. I love Kenyon Green in the draft. Kid has been a stud his entire life, and I think he's going to be really good for them moving forward. And they got some good pieces on defense. Of course, Jonathan Grenard, a lot of people might not know a lot about him, but he's a solid kid. Man, Jerry Hughes has been around for a long long time, played against Christian Kersky with the Browns. He has been a solid piece, so they have it there. And, of course, Derek Stingley Jr., Mm. you – how, how much better are you going to get as far as a young guy goes? So a, as far as what Lovey Smith is doing with the Texans, I, I I have to say this. I don't know what his future brings. And you know this to be true, too. Sometimes guys are a guy to get you to the next guy. You know, and considering he's a defensive-minded guy, unless they give him time to build that defense up, you know, it's to be the reasons they win, then that offense is going to get left behind as far as its development, as far as Davis Mills not being the high pedigree, let's say Trevor Lawrence without Doug Peterson type of situation or having a veteran, you know, offensive line because they are relatively young and that defense has some old bones on it that Lovey just is going to need time. As long as they get to a place of stability, then they're in the right direction. And and me talking about them now lends me to think they're probably going to finish fourth in the AFC South. Yeah, no, I say the more and more you look at it, because you're right, so much of that does feel like it's unsettled. And even it Lovey, is. you're right, doesn't feel like it's fully locked in there. Everything at least appears calmer in Jacksonville. But you're right, yeah. that's the clear basement of this division is these two teams. And we can talk about looking for some of these bright spots, but at the end of the day, in especially the AFC, these are going to be bad football teams. That's going to be this season for them. Yes. Which goes to that point, Mike. If if okay, let's let's me and you talk AFC then. 
the West can potentially get three out, yep. right? We probably say Kansas City is probably going to make its way out. The other three, I'm like, well, what are the Chargers? What are the Broncos? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, what? I, I feel like in that division, I could see everybody but the Raiders making it. I think the, I actually like the Raiders. I do. I do too. I worry about the offensive line okay. with them a little bit. And I okay. worry about the middle and the uh, outside of that defense, especially on the back end. But I, I also, it's just the strength of those other teams and those other That's rosters. True. So That's true. If you're talking three from there, you look at the AFC North and you say, all right, Baltimore, Cincy, Cincinnati. Baltimore. That's five, Mike. We're at five. Right. We got two spots left with two divisions. Buffalo, number one favorite as far as the Super Bowl goes. Yep. And then we go down south. And then we go south. And so when we get south here, let's talk about the teams that might actually join that seven here. And I want to start with Indianapolis now. I've reversed course completely on my yeah, plan yeah, for absolutely. all this and say, screw Tennessee. We'll save them till the end and get the people what they want there. You talked about Matt Ryan before. I want to yeah. talk about the offensive line that's in front of him, Ramon, mm -hmm. because this is a group that when Quentin Nelson came out from Notre Dame there and went in next to Ryan Kelly and the group that they had put together, him yeah. and Braden Smith kind of made that one of the best sure offensive did. lines in the league. We've seen now injuries taking hold a little bit. Ryan... Mm -hmm. Uh, Quinton and Braden are the only three left that are settled starters right now going yeah. into this season. Is that offensive line's best days behind them, or can they recapture that glow, get a little bit healthier, and give Matt Ryan what he needs here? I think no matter what, it'll be better than what Matt Ryan had in Atlanta. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that's the part that he's banking on. Matt Ryan's playing in a dome again, so he doesn't have to deal with the elements half of the year, maybe nine games if that's the case, depending on what their schedule is. But as you said, you, you, you look at Braden Smith and you look at Quentin Nelson and Ron Kelly, you say, these three dudes right here, these are my guys. And of course, you look at a high pedigree guy like Matt Pryor, who's, who's pretty much He's slated to, to kind of win that spot right there, if we're just being honest about it. Uh, he's slated to kind of win that spot. And on the other side of him, man, is Danny Pinter. And I say to myself, look, that group is, is they got to be tight. They got to be special. They got to hold each other accountable. I knew when I was playing in Pittsburgh, look, I was playing with Marquise. I was playing with Dave. The rest of us was like, all right, we better get our you-know-what together because those dudes are going to bring the show, and we better make sure that we're holding our own, too. When you're around good guys like that, it elevates you. You know, it's just like one of those, like, losing is, a, it, it, that creates habit, too, just like winning. So if you're around a bunch of loser-type guys, they can drag you down. But if you're around guys, man, that say, hey, look, we got to go hit the weight room. We got to make sure that we have pride in what we're doing. This is our year, and it can be indie, an indie type of year as far as the push that they can make because what they've dealt with the last few years, and I love Phillip Rivers. I think he's a Hall of Famer for sure, for certain. But they had him, and then they go to Carson Wentz, who – Whatever has happened in his career, you just say, it's just not good wherever he's been at. And I saw their games last year. I saw Carson, Carson Wentz be, not really be under pressure, but bail out of the pocket and throw a pick while he's spinning out of the end zone for a touchdown against the Titans. You know, or you have him leading the troops in Jacksonville the last weekend, last weekend of, of the season, and they can't beat the Jaguars. You know, that's what they've been dealing with. It. And again, Phillip did his thing, but now they actually have a guy that, that feels like this is his second opportunity. I feel like him being the veteran he is and the way they respect that they actually have a guy behind center, I think will force those other guys to get on board. 
You know, it'll, it'll force Matt Pryor to grow up a little bit. It'll force Danny Penner to grow up. And this is the thing. They were all draft picks. It's not like they're undrafted guys, so they have the pedigree. Now it comes down to a, how do we work in camp? How are we able to gel as quick as we can? Because this is the beauty of what this season is when we speak about um, the AFC South. The Titans and the Colts play each other in the first six weeks of the season, if I'm not mistaken. This is going to happen early, you know? So they got to grow up fast. It can't be a slow start for those five guys up front. Well, and especially this is now the fifth different quarterback in as many years for this group up front. Like, how difficult is that to try and account for all these differences in these guys? Like, for Matt Ryan and his game, do you think that works well for a unit that's kind of had to deal with a lot of different stuff? Yeah, I think so, man. And I think it's this too with him. He looked excited to be there. And I know, of course, you say, well, yeah, you know, he's on a new team. He's got to paint it up. But you can tell when guys say, this is my reset. Matthew Stafford, you knew that was his reset when he went to L.A. You know, it's those type of situations say, I'm the guy for this job. And I I don't think it it really bears him down much, Mike, as far as, you know, him being the fifth guy. Because I think even their head coach looks at it and say, we finally have somebody that we can count on. We finally have somebody that can run this offense. And, you know, it's kind of the way uh, Denver kind of allowed Peyton to uh, Peyton Manning to run his show a little bit. We'll give you what we have, but tell us what you do well, and we'll do those things. I feel like that's the position in which they're in right now. Keep the terminology as the same as you need it to be as far as the guys that's been there, and we'll rock out from that. That's why I said, and then the other part, too, is you got one of the baddest running backs in the land, and not just him, his backup. Naheem Hines is a really good scat back, and they also have Philip Lindsley. Like, these are dudes that have played and gotten reps in this league. It's like they've stocked up, not just stocked up, but they got good quality players, too. It's your point about Matt Ryan and that offense is great because I remember hearing the story at the beginning of camp when he got there. Frank Reich and them were all like, hey, like, listen, tell us, you know, let's go here and make this what you want to do. And Matt said, listen, I'll do that eventually. Let me learn your offense first. Let's yeah. lay the groundwork on this. Let's get your guy's system in here, and then I'll meet you halfway on it. Very similar to the conversation we had about Tom Brady going down to Tampa. Yep. What that offense look like meshing with B.A., and we saw the give and take there. So Matt Ryan walking in and giving Frank Reich and that staff that respect, yeah. I'm sure, goes a long way. But with Jonathan Taylor in this division now, yeah, I mean, is is he <laughs> is he the best running back in the NFL, or at the very least, is he the best running back in this division now with some of the wear and tear that started to show up with Derrick Henry and Tennessee? Hey, oh, if you want to get the Titans fans going, Mike, you come on my show and you say that. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to walk in Nashville again, and it's a good time here, okay? If you ever want to walk in Nashville, don't bring that up, all right? Because they are about that action. Jonathan Taylor is really good. He's really good, and not just in the run game, but also in the passing game. That's the beauty of of what they feel like they have with him. It's the idea that, look, this guy's a war horse. This this guy's a back that not only hits the gap, but he can break away from you too. Is he the best? I can't give him that. I need to see it one more time. And it's simply because we've seen Derek do it so much as of late to where he's the avatar. It's kind of what we've been calling him until he had the foot injury, you know? And and the beauty, I will say this, about Jonathan Taylor and which a lot of people put him ahead of Derek is this, is he doesn't need much volume to get a whole lot of output out of his runs. And with that offensive line that they have right now, 
that is the point in which they could take advantage if the Titans have a have a bad day. You know what I'm saying? Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines and Lindsey, they are guys that are pretty doggone solid in the run game. Is he the best, Mike? I give him two right now, and that's my honest opinion on it because I've seen Derek do work, and that guy, he different. He definitely different. I mean, just physically alone, what Derek yeah. Henry can afford you is so much different than almost everyone else in the league. Before we shift over to the Titans, the Colts on defense. Gus Bradley oh. comes over. It sounds like it's going to be a more aggressive unit here. You've got kind of revamped in a few different ways here. Stephon Gilmore comes over and sounds like has been an absolute dog in training camp yeah. so far. What do you see the Colts defense being able to do with a little bit of an identity shift this year? I see a lot of speed. I see a lot of uh, – <laughs> I'll just drop this – pricks. Yeah. Like, and I say that respectfully. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I say that <laughs> that's respectfully. A, that's, a, that's a compliment in these circles. <laughs> yes. Especially when you play offensive line, okay? Because the dudes that they have, man, Arike, we can't forget about him. That guy's a stud, okay, at their will linebacker position. Yannick Ngakwe. Love that guy. I don't know if I've met a guy that – and I have. I'm just throwing this out there. Just <laughs> he plays with so much passion and just – just just pit, like vinegar and fire that you're like, golly. He's an amazing one, too, because he's sort of like the Brandon Cooks of pass rushers where he yes. keeps producing and somehow still keeps getting moved around to all these wow. different places. It, it's bothersome. And, of course, he was in Jacksonville, and then he goes to Oakland or Las Vegas at the time. And you're just like, this dude is nice. Or was it Baltimore, too? Like, this dude is yeah. nice. So the pickup of him to them was just like, goodness gracious. And we hadn't even mentioned – and I hate to say this too, respectfully, the heavy hitters. Like, yeah. let's talk about DeForest Buckner, a top five defensive tackle in this league. Let's let's talk about uh, uh, Leonard in the middle. Like, what what are we doing? Like, yeah, that now, in now Shaquille Leonard, right? Shaquille, that was the change that got made. Yeah, Shaquille, come on, Darius, uh, Shaquille. Okay, all right, whatever you want to call it, I'll call you that because you're a bad man. Okay, from a HBCU with that, but but him in itself, and let's talk about the guys up the middle too. Like, I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Grover Stewart. I watched that guy do work, and he's good in the middle as far as D tackle goes. And Quiddy Pay being a young guy, moving into a bigger role for them and just finding his way and learning how to be a true pro, Mike, they're solid. Back end of it, they had a guy retire, retire earlier this year. Unfortunate, but they got Stephon Gilmore, man, Nick Cross, and Julian Blackman. I say to that, and, and they're solid. It's a really good team. They're almost built exactly as the Titans are, too. And and because of that, you you can tell the intent on what they on what they're trying to do this year. Considering their their owner even said on his private jet, do what you have to to beat that damn team down south. Mm. Imagine your team owner saying that, Mike. What does that mean to you? It was amazing hearing how vocal he was when Carson Wentz was still on the team about how what had happened there wasn't that good enough. Like, Jacarce yeah. sick and damn tired at this point, <laughs> and it showed up on the field for this team, which is funny because I can't think of a team that demeanor-wise, with Matt Ryan at the helm, yeah. like, re like resembles their owner less than, like, Jim Ursay, who seems closer to, like, a WWE character sometimes. Yeah, this man is saying, look, I'm trying to go win. I'm tired of him and that avatar running back running us through. And that's what's so wild about it. And I think that's why I was so, what I want to say, hurtful or gut-riching, 
is because they've been having a good enough team. They really have, man, for a couple of years now, minus Andrew Luck for sure. And it's a matter of what do we have to do to get this thing working right? And now they got some guys, man, that that really are doing some good things for. Now I'd be, you know, just be neglectful as heck if I didn't mention young young Blanco. Okay, Rodrigo Blanco shit. You remember he dropped the rap album last year, oh, though. Oh man, young young Blanco and the Rex Spec God, man. I, I it's yeah. hard when you, I feel like when you got like a dogged out specialist in the NFL, or at least one that we can point to right now. Like you yeah. got Matt Arraza, the punt god that made his way up to Buffalo. <laughs> Justin Tucker just re up with Baltimore. Like when you got yeah. a badass at one of those spots, everyone out like. You don't normally oh. – I can't imagine you anticipate walking into an NFL locker room and having, like, a badass punter or kicker normally. So when you got a dude, it yeah. always makes a Only on the duel I've ever respected – well, Janikowski was freaking crazy in itself, the leg, okay? But the other one, Justin Tucker. I had Coach Tomlin say this. when If they cross the 50, that's three points, man. Stop them. I was like, dude. <laughs> a kicker that's a bad dude but young blanco man shout out to him today <laughs> shout, shout out to young blanco all right let's let's look at tennessee i gotta start with this ramon yeah has mike vrabel now officially lost the crown for every time we would do in the summer the coaching cage match where if you put all the nfl coaches into a steel cage match and you're betting you're one going. to come out on top i feel like dan campbell's come for the crown mike hear me out dog I saw the hard knocks, okay? I saw the hard knocks. <laughs> and I'll be real with you. I, I honestly did not think that I would want to watch it. I turned it on in my drive into work, and I just needed to listen to him, okay? And that man, I said my, I said to myself, I said, you know what? I feel like I got another year. I got hey. another year, Mike. And I, it, it's Dan Campbell, to me, don't test him if you're a coach, okay? Andy Reid, you're a genius, got a Super Bowl. Don't mess with Dan Campbell. You're good. Pass that one up. Sean McVay? Hey, L.A. living? Nope. Don't mess with Dan Campbell. I, should we say that? Should we put that on the shirt somewhere? Don't, don't mess, mess with, with Dan, Dan Campbell. Campbell. Print the shirts. Print, Print them shirts. up. I don't want those problems. That guy busted his ass in his own house, thought he broke his wrist, and was still out there cranking out up-downs with the team. <laughs> 40 of them. Mike. 40 in your state, In your state, how many up-downs are you doing before you say you, you put the finger up? Like, give me a time. I'm going to probably hit a solid, like, I feel like I'd give you a solid 20. That's where but, I'm at. But once that hits, mm -mm. <laughs> come, come, come and get my ass. I'm yeah. I mean, just to see some, just to see a team that appears to love yeah. their coach and enjoy playing for him. They got a badass staff of former, former players there. Yeah. Antoine Randall L, former Steelers. Daily. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's awesome. But the fact that they got the team out there doing up-downs and people still seem to like fucking with them because seeing yeah. the NFL team do yeah. up-downs, Ramon, I was stunned. Can stunned. I say this? When I saw it on social media, I said, see, this is not football stuff. They'll lose every game. And I was wrong. I can admit that. I was dead-ass wrong, Mike, simply because when you when you listen to them, then you realize, no, they bought, they bought in. They're a part of whatever. he They picked up whatever he was selling, Mike. And because of that... <laughs> they're going to bite some kneecaps for real. You feel like that's where they're at. It's, but it like it seems like he is doing what Vrabel did in Tennessee, right? Because this yeah. was like, like before we had this, Vrabel was the coach out there with the chest yep. pad on, knucking and bucking with the team. Vrabel's yep. a coach who felt like every year was drafting some outside linebacker yep. prospect that was in his build. 
And he's the one source of stability that this division's had. Yeah. Coach certainly has the respect coach of the year last year for the job that he did. But I still feel like if you put him in a cage, Dan Campbell's the one walking out on the other side. That's a hundred percent. That's just see, this is the thing where Rabel's got the coach of the year. He's got the number one overall seed. I think with him, he's kind of transitioning into okay. Let's let's go ahead and let's let's lock this thing in. Let's do it right now. As far as um, well, what more do you want? Well, he want a ring. He got him as a player. You said I'm the best coach in the league with what I had to deal with in 2021. So now it's time for me to just let's go. I've gone to a couple of their practices, Mike, and the way he directs them, the way he's still very much involved. Uh, but you can tell the way certain guys get rest days, the way he does the drills, and it's a focus on the young guys. Like he understands, like, all right, we got to get this thing moving in in, in a better direction. I don't even want to say better direction. I just want to say he understands what the game is more now in this year after winning that coach of the year. Yeah, well, I mean, and what he had to do, you're right, MacGyvering his way through. I think they set an NFL record using 91 different players over the course of the 2021 season. And there's going to be no player on that team under more pressure than Ryan Tannehill this year. No. Not the season he wanted statistically. The playoff loss looked awful. And then they go out and draft Malik Willis in the top half of this last year's draft. You mentioned being out there. What's the response from Tannehill been as far as him approaching camp this year with all that in mind man he said he understood it number one uh this fan base was livid okay we still have people call into this day and still talk about you know january 22nd 2022 because they hadn't let it go and he said he had to go get counseling behind it but not just that it's in his review you know i think it's it's, it's huge to say look i acknowledge that i was off i was down bad like, I sucked in that game. That's pretty much the way he kind of brought it up to us or just said it in public. Like, he addressed what he was. But so far in camp, he's been leading this group. You know how it is when a veteran started quarterback has his guys over to the side and they're working on small things individually aside from the rest of the team. He's doing that. There's reports of him also calling guys out, saying, I need you to run this route this way. Do it this way so I can get you the ball in this fashion. He's been on that type of stuff in this camp to whereas – I think he's going to have a better year than anticipated by a lot of people. And I'd also say this, too. He probably feels lightly disrespected by the fact that this fan base is begging for Malik Willis to take his spot. You know how you can get spiteful in this world, Mike? It's with Malik Willis. What is the expectation there? Like, is there any talk of, like, because of what a dynamic runner he is, him having a package in that backfield with a guy like Derrick Henry, is there any worry that if he goes out and balls in the preseason, now all of a sudden those cries are going to get even louder from the fan base? How are they managing him? Um, they're managing him like he's a project. And and from my eyes been on him, he he is, Mike. Like, it's, it's some, some stuff he's got to get together. You know how it is for the guys that first, you know, sign of, of a threat, they want to escape out of the pocket. I saw him one day at practice, and there was a DB waiting for him to run outside. He did not see him. That's a cleanup job right there in the NFL. This is no longer, you know, college defenses where you can just do what you want to. No, everybody here could have gone to a D1 school. And I think that's just the way they're approaching him is we'll give him enough we're going to coach him all the extra, you know, throws on the side to where you can get his touch in because that's the thing. He's got a cannon of an arm, but it's a matter of him, you know, finessing the ball in a little bit. That's what I saw him working on a little bit after practice where it was the touch passes. It was, hey, let me hit this spot. Let me hit that spot. Tightening up the spiral of his ball. Like those are the things that he's working on. If you ask me, this would be a red shirt season. And I said it needs to be a red shirt season too, Mike. 
Yeah, and probably good for everybody involved with yep. that. That's the, the long-term trajectory, especially for what we know, the way that the contract is structured yep. for Ryan Tannehill and how they might play the future in that. Some of the struggles with Ryan, not all on him either, though. This is an offensive line that gave up a ton of sacks in a yeah. way that we weren't used to last year. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's the status on that group right now? Because for so long, I felt like with Derrick Henry and the O-line, that was what we counted on there. And while they yeah. were still able to run the ball well, especially when Derrick Henry went down last year, seeing them leak in pass protection like that for a group with a led, you know, led by a guy like Taylor Lewan seems to be yeah. out of character. Oh, no doubt about it, man. The the guys that have been steady for them, man, has been Ben Jones. Love him, a warrior. Okay, uh, Ben's a little bit older, but he's a fighter. Taylor was coming off the ACL last year, and and for him, you know, most of the time it's not the year you come back; it's the year after that. He's looked good in practice, man. He's back to him old self, Ben doing Taylor-like things in practice, okay? <laughs> um, and, and, and Nate Davis, but it's always been their issue, though. According to PFF, of course, you look at the algorithm, and it says that they're supposed to be, you know, their their pass pro wasn't the greatest, and it wasn't. Um, I, I don't know if it's because everybody sells out on the run and they're already stopping the run on the way to the quarterback, but they do have to tighten it up. They got two young guys, man, Dylan Radins and Aaron Brewer, who are fighting for a uh, starting job against uh, Jamarco Jones and Nicholas Petit Frere. It's the kid's name out of Ohio State. Uh, third round draft pick out of Ohio State. Apparently, Dylan Radins from South Dakota, North Dakota State is in a, I won't say a dog fight, but there's a battle going on at right tackle. I'll say this, and you know this also, Mike, um, that job has to be it has to be determined soon because yeah. the quicker the five can actually get to, you know, to practice daily and start gelling with one another, the better it will be for them. Because as you said, this is known as a passing, I mean, as a running team. They're gonna run this offense through Derek, which is also why I picked Derek number one. He's more important to this team than Jonathan Taylor is to Indy. That's why also I would say he's number one as far as that goes. But Aaron Brewer will be a first-time new starter, uh, and he's in a competition right now against Jamarco Jones, a veteran that's been around this league for a little while. I think Aaron Brewer is probably going to win it, although he's a little undersized. Sooner or later, they'll have to do joint practices against Tampa and Vita Vea. I'm going to have my eye on that matchup of an undersized, and I put air quotation marks, yeah. guard versus Vea. You know that's going to be a handful, Mike. I saw that man shotgun a Gatorade can in practice the other day in two hits that he's he's just built different. Some of us aren't the same. No, and we're not like him, and he's proven it because he lost a tooth and neck like it was nothing. <laughs> like it was nothing. <laughs> I'm freaking uh, out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... 
hard hard pass on that one for your boy. Yeah. You mentioned the the five getting to work together. Yeah. Especially for you mentioned the groups you were a part of in Pittsburgh were together for a long time, but you also spent a lot of your career in that time where there was a lot less practice time on field during training camp, during OTAs for a position like O-line, when did you feel comfortable either in camp or even into the regular season with what you guys as a group, as that unit for that year were capable of? Uh, I had some fans, of course, we, we do the show live in the mornings and uh, I was talking to, you know, about the one in particular, Aaron Brewer. And, you know, as far as him being undersized, he's six, one, two ninety. Okay, and then but he's all muscle. And I asked some people around, like, is he able to hold that? Because that's the thing with smaller guys, like they got to do a lot to hold on. You know what I'm saying? So they were asking me about him, and I told him, I was like, Don't, 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 don't say he's done, he's gonna get cooked early. Because with an old line for the most part, it's usually about the first four games. That's where you see, give me the first quarter of the season, and that's when we'll reevaluate. Okay, this group is gonna be steady, or we got some real problems because you get a you get four opportunities to see. Four different teams as far as what they're going to do for you. And not just that, your tape is out there. We can really look at you and break you down. After week one is when teams really start to say, this is how we're going to attack that team. So about the first quarter of the season, Mike, is where we kind of look at, okay, are are we okay? Or do we need to readjust some stuff as far as how we're going about running this offense? And I don't care if it's the passing game. I don't care if it's the run game. You know, like you start to check each other around that time. It, it, it makes sense, especially with the restrictions that you've got in the schedule off the field now, because you're right, there is no substitute. You're not getting anything even remotely resembling that in the preseason, especially no. not now with the way that people approach that time of year. You mentioned Derek. Does he look Does he look back? Like for a guy who we've – because, man, for years I thought you couldn't break that dude. I thought he <laughs> was going to be the one different answer to the running back conversation for the volume of carries that he yeah. got. What's been the feedback on him coming off an injury uh, last season in 2021? It reminded me, it reminds me of our um, 2017 season in Pittsburgh, where the year before we had a couple guys get injured. Le'Veon goes down a little bit. We're trying to make sure everybody's healthy. So Coach Tomlin put Le'Veon on the shelf. Like he didn't do any much of preseason games at all. No live drills on him. And that's the approach I feel like they've taken with Derek this year. Vrabel's already come out and said he's not running. He's not playing in the game. Don't ask me. He right now starts half of the practice, I think, does the warm-up, some indie, maybe one or two teams, maybe one team. And then he goes to the sand pit. He goes to the weight room. Like, he's on the shelf because they know how valuable he is. And this is the other part, too. He's at that threshold with running backs. And I hate talking about the business of it. But he's at that threshold of we got to get it all or we'll never get it again. That seems like the way they're approaching. But to your point, he has been the avatar other than the foot injury happening. And, you know, the first couple of years of his career, the way he's figuring out how he's going to run the ball. um, That was the first question I feel like we've had in a while when it comes to Derek. But he looks good. To me, he looks bigger, man. You see him and it looked like he should be playing defensive end. He looked like. Uh, Shaquille Leonard, not, not Darius Leonard. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. Shaquille Leonard, man, from Indy because it looks like he can be a heat-seeking linebacker. The, the dude looks phenomenal, Mike. Like, And I even hate bragging on him like this, but I, I, I congratulate his coaches in high school and in college for not changing his position because yes. any other dumb coach would have said, no, you better put your hand in the dirt. No, we're not going to. He is at the position he needs to be at. 
I'll never forget covering the Heisman for ESPN Radio the year he won. And when I finally got to interview him, it was a stand-up. <laughs> and I was like, why am I looking you eye-to-eye right now? Yeah. This is an abomination. <laughs> yeah. And if you so if you look at it like he's legitly taller than I think two of his offensive linemen. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fucked up huddle if I've ever seen it. One, is, 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 I'm talking about that's trash. Like, hold up, man. I'm blocking for you. How are you bigger than me? <laughs> it, so he's not the only, I, I think, big-time injury that people are talking about with this team coming off last year. But this is more on the young guy side. I would flip it over to defense. Caleb yeah. Farley, big-time pick, coming off the ACL last year. For that defense that was so dominant up front last season with yeah. Jeffrey Simmons and what he was able to do on the inside, Harold Landry, and yep. just in general the pressure up front here. What's the status on Caleb Farley? How are they feeling on the back end of this Titans defense in 2022? You know when they drafted him, he was in a position that uh, I was like, why would you draft a guy that didn't play in a year? He's got a, a ACL. He's had a back injury. I saw him, and I saw him healthy, Mike. He he looks official. He's been compared to it. If you can get him healthy, he's a, uh, a Richard Sherman type. He's the guy that's going to own one whole side of the field. He's been healthy. A great thing to a guy we didn't mention on offense, excuse me, for the Titans was Robert Woods, Bobby Trees, okay? he he's He's been mentoring him through this, this rehab process since he's been in Tennessee also. That's been his workout and rehab, buddy. That's been the guy that's kind of guided him a little bit. The first day Robert Woods came out, I think, with no knee brace on, but Caleb Farley did. I said Caleb Farley took his off halfway through practice. When you take when you've had a major injury and you start taking off the stuff that protects you, that's when you know you're getting back to your normal self. He still has his moment because he's young and he technically hadn't played ball in a little while. But they have a really good core of guys, man, that can do some good stuff for this team. And not just that, on the other side, you got Christian Fulton, who's been good out of LSU as DBU from what we know. But the 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 X factor in that little group, too, is the rookie out of Auburn, Roger McCreary. Yeah. If you look at their depth chart, and I know it's unofficial, don't really mean much, however you want to talk about it, but it's actually Caleb Farley slash Roger McCreary. That is a a spot in which I'm saying I I don't know how it's going to shake out with, you know, those two guys. Like, I feel like Caleb's going to get the starting position uh, because he slated in and he's the first round of being here a little bit longer. But Roger McCreary is fighting right now. He's... He's giving it to them as far as pushing for their starting role. Uh, and, and of course, behind them are some stud guys too, man. It's That defense was, especially what we saw in the postseason, that was, I think, the frustrating part for so many people watching that playoff loss to the Bengals is you just had a buzzsaw up front here. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is south of Aaron Donald, as good as you're <sighs> going to find in the NFL. And he's even built so different. Like Aaron's yeah. done it all as an undersized guy. Jeffrey Simmons, I said, looks like if a bunch of fire hydrants got together and decided to form Voltron. It's every limb on his body is built like my torso. I, 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 with this guy, man, it's just honestly been Brink's truck uh, watch. It's been guard or watch. Because, <laughs> I, no lie, it's been a running joke. It's okay, if you see a you see a Brinks truck around Nashville, it's probably for Jeffrey Simmons, just simply because he is that good, man. He put it on display for the world to see when they played the Rams last year. I think it was a Monday night football. He's been a stud. Of course, uh Jeremy Fowler did that top five, top ten list at each position as far as D tackles, and Jeffrey Simmons was number two. You know, you view it how you want to, but 
Jeff is good. I'll never forget the year after I retired. My guys uh, played against him, and they called me after the game was, you know, talking about the game they won and everything like that. But the number they kept saying was like 98, 98, 98. This guy's good, and he's showing it. And I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald-like. He's his own Jeffrey Simmons. Yep. But the fashion in which he plays relentlessly, the passion in which he plays also, how he goes at guys, no plays off, and not just that, he can stop the run and go get sacks. Like, that's the type of guy he's been this year, man. I even had had uh, I even had one of my old teammates reach out to me, Cam Haber, because I was going through the list on my podcast, and uh, he was like, I'm not number. He said, I'm not number five. I'm number two. I was like, whoa, Cam, I'm just doing the evaluation of a list. <laughs> <laughs> that goes to show where, you know, people kind of hold Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, and not just him on that front line, too, man. Harold Landry, Bud Dupree, Tier Tart is a guy. And the most underrated signing I feel like almost any team has had is uh the Nico Ultra. They have a squad. This defense gets after him, unless you to the point as far as the secondary goes. Um, Russian coverage always works together. Yep. Those dudes up front get after the quarterback, man, and that's something that I'm looking forward to seeing. Honestly, we walk through these two teams, the Colts and the Titans. They really sound a lot alike, Mike. Yeah, it's 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 remarkable. I'd say the the one spot that's most curious for both and. In Indianapolis, Michael Pittman really stepped up as the dude. They didn't have a clear number two last year that they could count on a lot, so they draft Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati. Yeah. For, for Tennessee, you mentioned Bobby Trees, one of the best nicknames in the NFL. <laughs> Love <He's> it. <laughs> abs- flawless. No notes. Him and Traylon Burks there. A.J. Brown and the trade that happened at the draft was one of the real big woe moments yeah. at the beginning of the draft here. H- has... Traylon Burks done so far what they expected. I know the spring was a little bit of a slow start for him as far as his wind. What does training camp looked like for him after that? What felt like kind of a wake-up call? Man, I, and I think that's exactly what it was. Uh, I didn't have the luxury of being a first-rounder, but he was. And, of course, soon as you you um, get drafted, you got to go on all the, the media spins and trips and stuff like that. And I think he just got off schedule. He had a bad spring. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I was actually covering the team that night for a tickets holder suite, and we were covering the draft, and we got a word from uh, the voice of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Keith. He's like, hey, don't say anything. They're trading uh, A.J. Brown. And I looked at him, and we looked around. I was like, and as soon as it broke, the fan base that was in that building with us lost it. And when they picked Traylon Burks, they hated him because he's not A.J. Brown. Yeah, You know, and, and we had to calm the group down. I was like, hey, don't blame Traylon Burks off of a business deal. Like, this simply what it was. AJ got a – he got a bag behind that trade also. So, with that being said, man, he had the rough spring. And, of course, everybody's questioning him then. And he actually has turned around. I think he said he shed about five or six pounds. He uh, hasn't had an off day in camp just yet. I've watched him do work. He is still a big kid, Mike. Like, this guy, this young man is a – he can be special. He's making combat catches. He's on the field all the time, and uh, he's had zero setbacks. That's the one factor that I'm hoping 
is going to assist Ryan Tannehill too. Last year, you had a bunch of in and out receivers. This year, every single one of his receivers, including Bobby Trees, has at least been out there as far as, you know, Austin Hooper being available, Nick Westbrook Aquina being, being uh, uh, available. Um, there's a lot of guys that he has at his disposal now that he didn't have in the past. And again, say what you want to about it. If a guy has his guys available at all times, you give yourself a nice uh, shot as far as being uh, dangerous on offense. Yep, I think there's no doubt. We talked about it. Usually one of the biggest predictors for a bounce-back year is losing guys to injury the year prior. Football yeah. Outsiders always does a really good job measuring games lost to injury. And so knowing that and expecting a pretty big bounce-back there, talking about the similarity of this roster, I understand you're down in, you're down in Tennessee, you're down in Titan land, but ultimately <laughs> do you think they're the team that wins this division? Oh man, this like legitimately, this is probably, and I'm gonna have to do a predictor on my show at some point in time too. Um, with the addition of of Matt Ryan, that is a real X factor. Um, Derrick Henry coming back from his foot, he needs a lot of volume. As you know, when he gets started, he gets better as the game goes on. And the way the Colts, I feel like, is gonna run this offense through Matt Ryan. I feel like they're going to try to speed it up. They're going to force them to try to throw the ball around. And I'm not sure if the Titans' offense, unless we see something differently, is going to allow that to actually happen because they're a run-first team. They always are. Who wins it? I got Texans at fourth, Jags at three. <laughs> and we're talking about one team making it out of the South, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like the Colts would take this one. I I. I, I felt it rising up with you, and I, I yeah. agree. I, I think Matt Ryan can finally be the guy that's there multiple seasons for them. Yeah, but and he also, wants to be. He yes. said it. Yeah. I mean, you see, he's taking care of his body the right way. His style of play is never one, especially, like you said, with an improved offensive line that's going to put him in harm's way all that much. And you combine that with, I, I think, a, a coach who needed someone with a calmer demeanor at that spot after yeah. the attempted revival of Carson Wentz last year. I I'm with you. I, I think that's the team that comes out. Now, what they can do in the postseason with yeah. the way the rest of this conference is probably remains to be seen, and that might be more of a year-two conversation for that yep. regime. But I I'm with you. I have them winning this division in 2022. Yeah, that's where I'm at with it. And, and of course, with it being such a passing league now, Mike, like how many run teams have actually done it as of late? You know, like that was the one factor that, that had Cincinnati Bengals beat them in that uh in that playoff game was they spun the ball through the air a whole lot better when it counted. No, it, you're absolutely right. It's been such a big difference maker, even for a team in Cincinnati that played largely without an offensive line, which <laughs> yeah. I know made both of our skin crawl in its own way. So it's 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 definitely been a big change, man. But uh, the, I'd, like you said, the South is one of the more interesting divisions in football. And so we are glad that we were able to get you on here to come and talk about it. One of the more interesting people that's going to come on this damn show. And hey. honestly, I'm surprised at the restraint for both of us because usually anytime we're together, this is like the most buttoned up. We must have felt like we had company around because the, <laughs> yeah. ratchet, the ratchet shit that I know you are capable of each and every day on God's Mike. airwaves on the radio is unbelievable. Mike, this is what we've been doing as of late, man. Listen to me. I know you see it because I tweeted it at you too. But this Edwin Diaz friggin' walk-in music. It's unreal. Narco, Mike, listen, to, you played that right now. I'm losing my damn mind. That's all I'm telling you, okay? To me, it's by far 
that that frame of him walking in has got to be the greatest walk in in sports currently. And I'm like, if I hear that narco song one more damn time, I'm gonna lose it. I'm in the friggin' studio playing trumpets and everything right now. We've been good though. If you put if you put narcos on and you yeah. have that as the walkout song, come on, man. and then you have that frame, but then it gives way to Dan Campbell in front of his team <laughs> screaming about, I don't care if you got one ass cheek and three toes, we're beating the shit out of you. Yeah. I feel like that's basically the same as doing cocaine. I feel really, like that whole yeah. cocktail together is just drugs. <laughs> this is freaking Scarface, okay? That's basically <laughs> it just, just go right through the whole pile, Mike. Well, how the heck? See, now we're getting ratchet. This, this yeah. is what she's looking for. Y'all ass was looking for this, and I knew it. I just sneak, gotta sneak a little bit on the back end. I know, I know, I know what you like because it's the same shit that it's I like. The same shit, Mike. I promise you, and I love you for it, dog. It's the absolute best, Ramon. You're the man. We appreciate you making some time for us here, man. We will be talking to you plenty during football season, I'm sure, as we finally get to put the pads on and do this damn thing. And now that I know what time zone you're in, <laughs> yes, how the hell we messed that up? We, you know what, hey, you know what. Didn't have enough reps. Like I said, we got to get a quarter through the season two before we're ready to be on the page that we need. Look at you using the information that I gave you. There you go, yeah. man. You Spit thought ass. <laughs> Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. All right, thank you again to Ramon. Check out the podcast, like we mentioned, the Ramon Foster Show. Make sure you check out J. Martin Ramon on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. Awesome stuff from an awesome player. Mr. Foster, sir, uh, I apologize that I couldn't be on the interview, first and foremost. And I uh, more, very, very more, more apologetic that I drunkenly said you play for the Patriots. I apologize. I know that that is a that's a deep cut in the AFC, and especially yeah, no. for someone who played for the Steelers. I I was not my intention. I was trying to be respectful. In the interest of being respectful, I want to just give everyone a little window into an argument that derailed this podcast. We'll not make the <laughs> podcast, but I just I want to I want to simply ask a question, and I don't want to tell anyone which side of this we were on. Okay, I just want to ask the question. Okay. At Both Gojo Show on Twitter, at Brother Brandon, at Mike Golick Jr. As always, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a review. And all I want to know, does Drake, the musical artist, the former actor, does Drake have that dog in him? That's all, that's all I want to know. 
does Drake have that dog in him? Not as he successful, not as he well liked, not as he popular. I just yep. want to know if he has that dog in him. Yes, in the way that we communicate about having the dog. I, I say in a year where we have talked about that more than any other year I can remember, where having that dog has risen to prominence. We've talked about it with Zach Wilson out here reportedly having sex with his mom's friend. Yep. Like definite dog behavior. We want to know if Drake has that dog in him. Let us know. You know how to talk to us. I have a I have a poll up on my Twitter right now at Mike Golick Jr. It should be open for most of the day. Does Drake I, have that dog in him? I would suggest not participating in the poll. Uh, let it get why let it. I'm it's it's already it's already off the rails to be honest with you. But we we can. I, like I said, we're we're not telling on ourselves here, so no, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm done. not. Well, I mean, I'm done. What, what's off the rails about it, Brandon? I'm. I said I'm not. I'm done. I I would I would like to hear some you seem people's pressed. opinions. It seems that people want to quickly like the, people think this is a great prompt to get a joke off. Like was like, oh, let me see what I can say funny. It's like no, like the haha. We understand you're funny. We understand that Drake is very popular. We understand you have your takes on him. Like we just we just want to know about the dog. We just want to know about the dog. And where is it? <laughs> not in him. See, you did it. You did it. Okay, you're I not good. Mike is not, a, Mike is very he, wrong about this. He doesn't and have we, that dog like in him. <laughs> he can be great. He can be great in a lot of things. Doesn't have that dog in him. You put an X-ray of that man's oh, chest, and there ain't a pit bull in sight. We were we were arguing about this as if it was going to be in the podcast. Like it, it felt like we were cutting a promo for something. Like we were like it, very passionate. Like, but yes, yes. Uh, Mike is uh, Mike. Mike just doesn't know Drake. I'll say that. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay not to know. Brandon, you know what I am passionate about? What? Looking great in my sunglasses. <laughs> Let me tell you about knockaround sunglasses. Polarized sunglasses that cost just thirty dollars a pair. Drake would never. You have oh 15 different frames, a multitude of colors, and definitely the official sunglasses of having that dog in you. Tons of custom options, over a billion. In fact, different combinations of the Knockaround Custom Shop. It's perfect for going out for a run. Runner's World Magazine named them as a 2021 editor's choice. Would not do that for a set of sunglasses that didn't have that dog in them. They are lightweight, with great clarity, have a rubber nose so you have no slip slide or bounce. Knockaround sunglasses are high quality polarized sunglasses at a truly affordable price. Check out their huge range of shades at knockaround.com. Brandon, do you know what time it is? Time to stop thinking about Drake for two seconds. What would you do if your son was at home? Crying all alone on the bedroom floor Cause he's hungry And the only way to feed him is the This, that, and the third For a little bit of money And his daddy's gone Somewhere smoking rock now In and out of lockdown I ain't got a job now So for you, this is just a good time But for me, it's this, that, and the third hmm. That was really good You rebounded nicely because I can't tell you guys how flustered Brandon has been trying to explain to me how Drake has that dog in him. So for him to pull that together, that's borderline your flu game. We already mentioned you're drunk off the power of prayer with your sons late in the week here, playing hurt and injured, which Brandon is the perfect segue into this because 
Tuesday night, we saw the premiere of the new season of HBO's series Hard Knocks yes. going behind the lines of training camp with the Detroit Lions this year. And Brandon threw one episode. <clears throat> Man Campbell and this team have me ready to run Man through a fucking wall. Campbell. From, from the opening... Like, so, Brandon, if you were to power rank what we saw from the opening episode of Hard Knocks, this is what I have. Tell me if you agree with this. Because watching the way that they laid this out. I think there's a clear hierarchy of what we saw in episode one of Hard Knocks, which this is a team that was bad football team last year. Jared Goff's your quarterback. They pick Aiden Hutchinson as their top pick out of Michigan in the draft. They've got an mm-hmm. awesome staff full of former players. So this is what I came up with. My favorite moment, so I'll start from the back end of this. Number okay. six, this is a college football playoff style thing. So first two out and then the top four. Dan Campbell and the up-down story. At one point in the episode, Dan Campbell does, I believe, 50 up-downs with the defense because they lost some sort of competitive period against the offense and tells the story about how he busted his ass in his house over a dog gate, almost broke his wrist, and so his response was to just tape it up and to go out there and pay the piper on the up-downs with his team. Had that at number six. Sim- simply I'd- because he didn't break it as well. Like he, yes. he'd, We found out, like a true football guy... Because he is a football guy's football guy, we found out about the. I don't want to call it an injury because you either play hurt or injured. He found we found out about him hurting himself after the deal after the deal had been done. Exactly, no complaints beforehand. Grit, like it says on the wall. Number five, I had Jamal Williams' speech at their breakdown after practice. Jamal Williams, their running back, incredibly big personality on this team. Got emotional, breaking it down with the huddle, talking about how last year wasn't it. And to think about that record when they get tired and how much he loves his teammates in that huddle. Brandon, if that didn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. Mike, uh, talking about something that wasn't it. Whew. I, I'm one of those guys that gets really weird about awkward situations on television, like on movies and stuff. Like I'll cover my eyes if like something's like there's a big reveal or like somebody was overhearing something. During this moment, I closed my eyes a couple times, and I pushed pause because I couldn't do it. I understand football rhetoric, but this went too long. This this was so, personal. This was this this was more. I would say it was like about the team, and then obviously, in most things that get emotional, it, it drips into your own personal narrative, which I feel like we got a little bit of uh, Jamal Williams' uh, struggles over time in that, and like he was talking to himself as much as he was talking to his team, which is what happens in that leadership role. But it went on for about 45 seconds too long, and that's a long time. That's why I agree with, and that's why it's down at number five on the list, because it did go too long. The clip that HBO put out was much shorter for the internet, and that was the Mm -hmm. perfect length here. But I admire the passion, and I like where it came from there. The fact that he got vulnerable in front of his teammates. They talked in this episode a lot. Running backs coach Deuce Daly about saying I love you to your friends and your brothers on the team, which is a great lesson. Which brings us to number four. The intro of all the former... The intro of all the former players on the staff, when they went down the line from Aaron Glenn through Mark Brunell, Deuce Staley, um, Hank Fraley, all these guys, when they had them intro their playing career and then go into that as one big rip, was awesome. And a reminder of what a dope staff Dan Campbell's put together. I do, it's the It reminds me of the line from Ted Lasso. I do not know... I'm paraphrasing here the... Um, 
Trent Krim from the Independent article yes. about Ted Lasso says, I don't know if he'll be successful, but I will take no joy in watching them fail if they do. Like, I am mm. rooting for this staff full of former players, a lot of former players of color, who we talk about the problems of hiring minority coaches all the time in this league. You got yeah, a staff yeah. full of guys that have earned their position, that deserve to be coaches, and just happen to be men of color and guys who have strapped it up before, which I think was awesome. Mike, uh, you're spot on with everything you just said. The best part of this coaching staff and how they're all former players is how they wrapped it up. Because we're talking about preseason, right? And, the, and the every, every new Hard Knocks episode introduces preseason. And that's what really got me going, Mike. I was like, damn, I miss being back in high school where I played for a really, really shitty football team where, like, every preseason it, was, it had this level of optimism. And it's not about – control is like keeping what you're doing it's about like getting to where everyone else is right so what i loved about it was the way they said it mike they were like this is my 22nd tra uh preseason yeah. uh, tr training camp this is my ninth training camp this is my 11th training camp seventh training camp like that's what it's about because it's not only the fact of how long you've done it while coaching that's not as important as understanding where these guys are at and where they're at mentally and and i mean hell I, a lot of these hard knocks episodes or seasons because they're such bad teams you know i think what's the rules like bottom three team of the conference like like there's a bunch of different stipulations to become a hard knocks team usually they're so bad that there's nothing to root for it's just like it's like a picture of what's the problem is it, what we, we talked about before is like a getting a chance to see the dysfunction on full display this mike for the detroit lions under man campbell as you called him this feels different, man. I, I'm, I'm going to be rooting for them pretty much all season long. And I'm already, already a Detroit guy, so you kind of always, like, like hope they do decent. But, like, also as a Detroit guy, you look at the decisions that they've made and how they've built these teams. You're like, it's their own mess. You know, I'm like, this is the Ford family's mess. And now I feel like we're all kind of turning, turning a corner how we feel and how we want to root for this team. And this is all episode one. Speaking of things that made me root for this team even more, number three on the list, Deuce Daly and Aaron Glenn talking shit to each other in practice. These are two guys that said they've been best friends forever, and you can tell based on the brand of shit talkery that went on, that got real in the competition period for two coaches that are very much not in the actual action. Yeah, no, that, that brought me back to my days, uh, our days at Notre Dame. Remember when uh, uh, Coach Corm Brown, defensive coordinator, and uh, Mike Haywood. Mike Haywood, Coach Haywood, uh, was the offensive coordinator. And it was my first, like, they really took pleasure in the defense fucking offense up or vice versa. And, like, they jawed a little bit too much, Coach, Coach Brown, because Coach Brown's a, D, a Michigan guy and Coach Haywood's a Notre Dame guy, and that stuff bled over into the coaching staff, which I loved being there at Notre Dame to see that. But this felt like it was a little bit – it was a little too much for me, Mike. But I do, I do respect and love the fact that they're, they're excited every, every practice. It's a lot easier to be excited when you're not hitting anybody either, which they both, they both put in their time. Those are two incredibly physical and you know, well-established players around there. Number two, Aiden Hutchinson's Billie Jean performance. Mm -hmm. The rookie shows mm -hmm. on this mm -hmm. one were exceptional. And Aiden Hutchinson had... I think there were two parts of this moment. The first part is, for anyone that's never been through an NFL training camp, it is very customary, as we've seen sometimes in hard knocks, when you have the rookies get up and do whatever their rookie performance or song is, it's always name, school, and signing bonus. And there are yes. different levels of response for guys that are undrafted free agent who don't get shit, 
late round guys who maybe didn't get as much as they should have, although that happens less now that this is all scaled out. And then you get the reaction to Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end, Michigan, signing bonus, 23 mil. And you watch Mm. that room light up like a Christmas tree because they know, especially the vets, that at some point they're going to take some of that money from him at the rookie dinner. So that reaction is always gold to me. But Brandon... He knew the game when it comes to performing a song in front of your veteran teammates in the NFL, which is make sure you pick a song that the crowd is going to know. And he went with Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, which got everybody going here, and then just commit to it fully and truly. And he went messed up at the beginning, fucked it up and had to re-rack it, and still did not let that knock him off his pedestal, danced, got the crowd involved in it. Some guy ripped off his shirt from the second row, threw it, A guy in the first row, no look, caught it and just started waving it. That's how in tune that whole team was in that moment. That was the bonding they talked about. It was incredible. It was incredible, Mike. Uh, He he pulled a Brandon Newman. Uh, Something I famously do, famously, uh, when I go on stage to do stand-up is I trip on the stage or, like, make something fall. So, like, everyone's like, oh, what is this klutz doing? And then I go kill because guess what? I just got your attention. When he Mm. messed up at the beginning of that, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, by the way, by the way, Mike, you didn't know that we don't use that word anymore. I think it's like ableist or something like that. Oh, yeah. my, apo- yeah. my apologies then. Yeah. He's, yeah. you know what? He's, he's, I would say, he's about to snap. He's about, he about to, snap. to snap. Hey, he about to go off. He about to go in and off. Um, but I loved every, I, I was, I didn't know how good it was going to be, but man, that felt good. I, I would say in that spot though, for me was Malcolm Rodriguez. And his, uh, I don't know what type of Mexican dancing thing he was doing, but the linebacker from Oklahoma State, that that that, that quick little the footwork and him not yeah, saying yeah, the anything footwork at all, and the hip swivel, like and the way the team was getting up for that, I was like, yeah, that, that's that's what I love to see. Like people just like, okay, go off, King. Like you go like that. That it was it was really it was really cool to see. But Aiden Hutchinson. Outside of the dance moves, outside of the performance, and it was cool to hear him talk with his family about him practicing that before going up. It was the it was the the acapella to get people going. It was the yep. It was. I felt like I was watching Pitch Perfect for a second. And so, Brandon, all of that joy leads us to the number one moment, which I think was right off the start of the show. Dan Campbell's opening monologue and first speech to the team in front of the room, talking about grit that they have painted up on the wall here, talking about how there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Dan Campbell quoting the Metallica song, No Leaf Clover, which he said, if you look up, there's no light at the end of the tunnel because the line from the song is, Then it comes to be that the soothing light at the end of your tunnel was just a freight train coming your way. Basically saying, keep your head down, don't worry about what's coming next, and get your shit done. That one had him ready to go, man. A jacked Dan Campbell, veins popping in his forehead, screaming about Metallica in front of the room, was the perfect start, and he's the reason that this season has a chance. Because before Mm. we've even met any of the players in a meaningful way outside of those couple we mentioned, you've got a character in Dan Campbell you can sell to an audience. There's no doubt about that. Oh, absolutely. He's just the... (sighs) Mike, it's just... You want to go through training camp with people that love to be there, and that guy clearly loves football. That the, the fact that he isn't even 
it feels like he's not concerned with that record from last year because he really is focused on this team. And it's, it's a big distinction, I think, between players and coaches of like, like really just trying to make every day and get these guys better because you have to maximize the time where you guys are, are there tackling. But what I loved about the whole episode, I think would have been in my top six, was all that fresh helmet talk, the Guardian cap. Oh, man, those guys dumping on the Guardian. Yeah, it's – It's a new day and age. That's why I think I like about it, Mike, is like they are trying to make things safer, but at the same time – you got to tackle to be good. Well, and they're still tackling with those on. Like, it's not preventing it. My thing yeah. with those is I understand what they're trying to do, and I'm not going to beef about that. I can you know talk too much about the importance of player safety here. So even if they're trying to just look like the part, the problem is it makes them all look like peewee football players because their heads look so big. Like every yeah, one of them looks yeah. like uh, every one of them looks like some sort of Martian from the Jetsons, and it really yes. fucks me up because I'm like, Ooh. you have some of the greatest athletes on planet Earth that look like little kids playing Pop Warner football because of these things. I was gonna say they look like those little Goomba things from uh, Super Mario Brothers that you jump on. Yes, the little mar- marshmallow marsh- uh, marshmallow head people. But the, w- let me and we'll move on from Hard Knocks after this. But. The moment before Jamal Adams gave the speech, Williams. The thing that led to that speech was Dan Campbell's speech talking about going full pads, and he brought everyone up. He's like, "Listen, guys, y'all are looking at me crazy because we're going full pads right now. I promise you, I'm putting you in a position so we can win some of these games. Like, I'm only doing this to make sure you guys are at the peak." position and and also avoid injury once you really get to start thudding things up when the season gets started the way he almost broke into tears asking them to trust him and that he's not going to put him in any position that that he wouldn't put himself in or he that he's trying to help the team mike that was just something i've, ne- I've never seen from a football coach like especially not a head coach like that that really did move me it was incredible so hard knocks episode one gets an a from both of us can't wait to see the rest of the season. We'll absolutely be locked in as the preseason goes along. We'll move it along a little quicker here to that, Brandon, and yes. just offer our condolences and well wishes to Wake Forest starting quarterback Sam Hartman, who will now reportedly be out for an extended period of time because of a non-football issue the school announced Wednesday. Head coach Dave Clawson insisted Hartman will return at some point this season and said the quarterback underwent a medical procedure Tuesday night after seeking medical attention during a workout earlier in the day. The school didn't specify the nature of the situation, citing privacy laws, but Clawson said it's one of those things that could happen to any of us. So, Brandon, while I certainly, at times, beef with college football's cryptic handling of injuries, I think sometimes it can be a detriment to the player and something that teams do out of a paranoia that ends up causing more problems than help. With this, if it's truly an off-the-field thing, and we hope it's nothing seriously medically for Sam Hartman, his family is certainly aware of this, and that's really all that matters. We wish him well, because this is an incredible quarterback. We talked about it in the ACC preview pod. Seems like a remarkable young man who's representing that university, and we hope we get to see him at some point over the course of the season. But whatever's happening off the field, I hope that gets better first and foremost. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's obviously one of the, the star quarterbacks going into the season, so we, we want to get a chance to see him play. But I hope he and his family are okay because we've been around these situations a little bit before, uh, just like something happening in, in preseason that changes the course of the season for the, for the really important person. We know that's serious for them as well. So uh, I, hope, I hope, he's, hope he's doing well and we get a chance to see him this season. Exactly. So all well wishes towards Sam Hartman. But, Brandon, let's finish with the third – Want to go out to Chicago. 
Cairo Santos, the kicker for the Chicago Bears, is not reprising a role on the hit FX series, The Bear, anytime soon, but rather basically came out and said that the Bears field sucks so much at Soldier Field that he had to go practice on a public park to mimic the conditions that he would face there. Now, we've heard a lot of people over the years have issues with Soldier Field late in the year. We know. We played in the Midwest and South Bend. That weather and that climate, especially for them being by the water, extra chews that field up as the season goes along. The weather is always a negative contributor. And he said, quote, that's just a part of Soldier Field. It's going to give a little bit. So you've got to realize the surface you're playing on and get adjusted. That was Robert Quinn, excuse me, the defensive end that said that. But Cairo Santos said that it's so uniquely bad, he had to go find poorly maintained parks in Florida to simulate the season. He said, I was going to a turf field at a high school, which was perfect. It was almost like, okay, I'm getting too comfortable. So in my neighborhood, there's this soccer field and the grass is Bermuda grass and it's real long. And I was like, okay, this is more like it. Like what an incredible statement about the most powerful league in North American sports that's got more money than God that has their kickers and players openly talking about, yeah, our field's so trash. We have to go and actually dumb down our off-season training to mimic what we're going to face. Mike, this is very real for us. Do you remember playing USC when we had grass and we were wearing those damn Adidas cleats at Notre Dame? And we were like, well, at least Joe McKnight can get slowed down. Oh, like I mean, the, Brandon, like there's the famous Bush push game where they grew out the grass to slow down Reggie Bush. We saw plenty of instances where we were trying to run wide running plays and running backs would just slip and pull up turf in the backfield. All of that is a penalty for playing in the Midwest and trying to be fast doing it. And it's just hilarious to think of the best athletes in the world having to go out and factor this in. It's no wonder that we see all these mock-ups of a potential dome for Soldier Field or them talking about moving it to, what, Arlington Heights north of the city. Like, Mm -hmm. for for it to be this bad. And I know what, there's a ton of guys that still love natural grass because it's a lot better on your joints overall, but this is insane. Yeah, I just I just uh, applaud him for using ingenuity, and you know maybe we can get a, a Bears kicker that's consistent. That is true. Listen, they'll take the bottom line is let's get results. And you're right. He went and he tried to make sure. I have plenty of coaches who beef with using sleds and shoots when you're getting ready for practice and shit like that because it doesn't mimic game situations. This man went out here and replicated it. So Chicago, you know Cairo Santos cares, and that's all we yes. can ever ask of our athletes. Cares obviously cares more than Cody Parker, so cross your fingers. Oh, come on, man. Let that let what? that man live. Let that I man am. live. I bet I bet he was kicking on turf fields during training camp. That's all I got. I don't say. even I don't even know if that was a home game for Chicago, so I won't go so far as to slander oh, yeah, that's that true. man. I apologize. I apologize. It's too you can't put the toothpaste back in the bottle. And we can't do that with this podcast either. We thank everyone who's made it this far into the podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Gojo, wherever you get your podcast, leave us a five-star rating. Let us know if you think Drake has that dog in him. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow.